thank you for your love, your grace. Thank you for your patience. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, thank you. We all need it. And uh, your unfailing love never ceases. And we forget that. We really do. We end up uh, not applying that to other people. But we want every minute, every second. So, Lord, make what is true in us alive out through us to those around us. Today I pray for Carol. We just uh, heal her body, touch her, whatever's going on with her, and uh, give her your peace, internal peace right now. Um, yeah, you know where she's at and what's going on there. So bless, bless Carol. Thank you. Amen. Can you believe it? This is week 12. Last one. Done. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, uh, I don't think I've ever wrestled and learned through a topic more than this time. And again, you, here's what you may not realize. I've taught this before. This is not the first time. But this particular time, there's been a lot more mm, a learning curve, you know, um, new nuances, expanding our understanding of what forgiveness is. And I'm realizing in, in all the work I've done in the places I'm connected to, with the fire department as a chaplain, with the funeral home as a chaplain, doing funerals, I'm seeing some of the greatest hurts in people's lives. I'm seeing the everyday stuff people face. And that's what prompted this series again. This is what everyone deals with. Every human. We all deal with this issue of forgiveness. So today I'm going to talk, it's a wrap-up today. It says, well, what about this or that? And I've, I asked you guys questions. I got some email responses. I sent out some uh, messages to some other teachers and leaders and counselors asking for their insight to the number one question that I've heard from most people uh, regarding this series. What about and what do you do if the person you need to forgive and are forgiving uh, is in close proximity, either lives in the same city, uh, works at your work of place, uh, your place of work, your, uh, your boss, your fellow employee, your family? What if the person lives in your house, your spouse, or your kids? What do you do when it's constantly in your face? How do we handle this? So <laughs> we're going to try and tackle that today. And uh, I know all the other messages have been kind of structured. Today is going to be the um, pinball machine. Ding, 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 ding. And it's going to go all over. Uh, at least that's what it feels like to me. Hopefully it doesn't come out that way. But uh, let's, let's take a look at this quote from Corey Ten Boom. Um, Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hate. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. You can ponder that one, meditate on that quote for a while, and get a lot of depth out of it. So that's just to get us started today. The other serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to stop beating myself up for not doing things perfectly. The courage to forgive myself because I'm working on doing better. And the wisdom to know that you already love me just the way I am. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. So far, the entire series, here's what we covered. The very first message, we talked about expanding our understanding of what forgiveness is. And we had multiple definitions uh, invade the topic because uh, it wasn't just the simple, traditional, pull it out of a dictionary, here's your definition of forgiveness. 
there was a, a wide swath of input from a lot of people, and it, it almost made it come alive in a, a more real way. The map grew, okay? It wasn't just a little village. It became uh, a new country of understanding. Then we talked about the source. Who is the source of our forgiveness? Obviously, it is Christ, but I didn't want to do the obvious. I didn't want to just stop at, the answer is Jesus, like a science school answer, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't want that. I wanted us to stop for at least one message and dig deep and realize who is this Jesus we say we believe in and are relying so much on. It's not a Sunday school picture, although that is important. You're not Sunday school kids anymore. You've grown up. It's time to find a more mature way to perceive and understand who this Jesus is. Then we talked about case forgiveness. I forget what that was, actually. <laughs> anyway, then um, why do we need to forgive? That was one message. Then we did three. This is the best part. Number five, five, six, and seven. There's three messages on what forgiveness is not. And this is the part, number, th- that section there has been the most impactful for helping people become free to actually move towards forgiveness. Because if you have false concepts that you are believing, you're not going to walk through them. You're going to say, well, if that's what forgiveness is, I can't do that. Only to discover that that isn't forgiveness? Oh, let's step over that. I actually I have some hope. And now move on and you can walk through this. Then we talked about what forgiveness is. We talked about reasons why we don't forgive. That was pretty big. How to forgive took two weeks. And today is what about? Forgiveness is like handing them over to Christ's care because I can't be chained to them anymore. This is a great quote um, uh, by Brad Jerzak. Uh, It's a reminder that forgiveness is for who? Us. Forgiveness that we're talking about. Remember, this series, we did talk briefly about the vertical forgiveness from our Heavenly Father to us, but the series is the relational forgiveness, one to another. Here's the big one. This, this came in via question, and uh, I chatted with the individual who sent this to me, and uh, this was helpful. Um, I used a line a couple weeks ago that said, uh, or at least implied, you may have to forgive over and over and over again, uh, like 100 times a day for the first week, and then it's down to 75 for the next two weeks and so on, because whatever the problem is, the person in your life is right there in your face. Um, there is this idea you may have to over and over and over again extend that attitude, and it could have two meanings. So I want to clarify and explain. It's not, I'm not trying to do a double speak, because it it implies we have forgiven versus we have not yet forgiven, because we just finished saying that forgiveness is an event. It's a moment we choose to decide to forgive. We release that person in our minds between us and our Heavenly Father, but then I turn around and say, but you may have to re-forgive over and over again. Which is it? It's both. Not everybody will get the, ex- the extreme depth that you are a forgiver by nature. Each of us are. We just may not realize it. This is talking about an emotional connection. There's a, a trigger that can happen. And when that trigger happens, when that person is in your life and they keep doing the same hurts over and over again, that's, or just a whole bunch of them that just annoy you. <laughs> no spouse elbowing now. You know? But there, there are things that happen in our life when people we see regularly that we need to like, oh my goodness, Lord, I surrender. And it's going to become a daily thing. Are you okay with that? And some of us may not be, and maybe that is what needs to be yielded and surrendered. It does not mean that you did not forgive them previously. You're simply needing to process your emotional response. 
So when I say you may t- need to re-forgive and, and uh, re-yield them, re-yield is another good word then. You know, that way you're recognizing, okay, I have forgiven, now what do I do? The subjective truth is your emotions. Your roller coasters are going your roller coaster of emotions are going everywhere. They may not feel like I've forgiven because they just re-annoyed me. <laughs> you know, they just redid the very thing I can't stand. And quit laughing so much. <laughs> and don't look at your husband like that. <laughs> but this is about false guilt and false shame. Shame is uh, says I am no good. Uh, false guilt says, I did something wrong. And yet, we can acknowledge we have forgiven. So that's a subjective how we feel. But the objective truth is we have actually forgiven. That we have forgiven, but our emotions may not have caught up. The event of forgiveness was real, but the process is still working itself out. I've forgiven some people in my life that, you know, suddenly I see somebody that triggers a memory and it doesn't mean I haven't forgiven. But emotions come and I have to process those emotions. Okay, and I acknowledge, wait a minute, wait, whoa, whoa, pause. I have forgiven them. Okay, Lord, I yield this to you, you know. Do you, do you understand? So that, that's a big one. Um, this is from somebody else. They suggested that uh, uh, their, their favorite picture uh, of forgiveness is Joseph in the Old Testament. When he uh, had his brothers sell him out, in fact, they wanted to kill him first, and then they got, he got sold, um, his brothers came to him after his father died, and they, I think they lied. That's what seems to imply in, in the biblical text, that, uh, hey, Dad wrote a, uh, told us to tell you that you're supposed to not be mad at us. What kid does that? Like, really? If Dad would have meant that, he would have told me himself, right? Uh, you, you can read between the lines. It's quite funny. But here, Joseph, now that his dad has gone, he says to them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? He had all the power and motivation to attack his brothers. He had so many opportunities for payback if his heart was set for payback. Joseph chooses to forgive. Revenge would have been easy for him. Forgiveness is a harder choice, but a more powerful choice. Now keep this in mind. Uh, He says, uh, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because they were scared. Because they realized when dad was around, there was authority kind of keeping the peace. But Joseph already had forgiven. In fact, do you remember the name of his first son? I don't, because it's a Jewish name that I can't even pronounce. Mesubasatha, um, something like that. And so basically the name means the bitterness has left me. The bitterness has left me. That means the memory won't. You don't forget. You don't get a lobotomy but you, the, the emotion attached to whatever that pain was lessens and lessens and lessens. And that's, that's pretty, pretty powerful. Then evidence of true forgiveness was care for the offender. Joseph then confirmed he would continue to provide and protect for his brothers and their families. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Speaking kindly is evidence of a soft heart. Harsh words, short words to our kids, to our spouse, that does not speak love and forgiveness. That speaks hurt. Something's still hurting you. Speak from hurt. And most often people make their mistakes and hurt you because they're hurting. And then you get mad at them and you need to forgive them. But there's more going on than we possibly know. 
Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 21 to 22. This is really cool in the Passion Translation. It says, Later, Peter approached Jesus and said, How many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Seven times? Trying to be generous. And the the, uh, original language implies, uh, you mean seven times in one day? That's kind of the nuance that was given there. Jesus answered, Not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven. Well, all you math people, stop doing math and... It's 480 is not the goal that this is for, okay? The goal has to do with living from a place of constantly forgiving because of who you are, and they didn't know that. Peter is trying to make himself look, hey, I'm I'm being spiritual here because our laws say I can one or two times, well, actually it said I can turn the other cheek, except they never counted all four of them. (laughs) They just only counted the two. So anyway, um, but here we go. Perhaps not so much new offenses over and over, but rather it's the same thing over and over again that could be happening here, the 70 times 7. It's that attitude of walking in forgiving. Do you wake up with the intention to forgive? Do you ever have that conscious awareness and conscious focus? You're going to show up at your job site and you go, okay, I'm going to have to forgive somebody today for sure. And if you come already prepared, guess what's going to happen? You're going to forgive. You're not going to walk around like an offended person, which is so North American right now. Everybody's so offended. You know, like politicians, offended. I'm so offended. I'm offended. Do you realize where the focus is there? I. What a selfish perspective. I am offended. There's some good memes out there about that. We'll leave those alone today. Romans 12. 19 to 21. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice or wrath. For the scriptures say, if you don't take justice in your own hands, I will release justice for you, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience, and God will reward you with favor. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. Our vengeance, oh, we want, we want payback. If you've been hurt and you've had a loved one hurt by somebody, you want that person to pay, don't you? Isn't that normal? It is normal in our culture. We, we, we want justice for whatever definition of justice we have. You realize that the judicial system today has its own definition for what justice is. It, has, it looks nothing like the Hebrew definition of justice, the ones the Israelites were raised in. The system today is about payback and paying back harder and harder. Uh, take a look at your justice politicians today who, who hold certain seats in certain parties. They're after stiffer and stiffer sentences. They want more and more and more. Harsher, harsher. And yet, the mindset of Christ is not payback. It's, listen to this, put back. Put back, restorative. Put back to the original intent. Heal. This is beautiful. In uh, number B up here, um, I will release justice for you. In Deuteronomy 32, 35, it says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip, their day of disaster will arrive, and their destiny will overtake them. Whose job is this? Not ours. 
our limited understanding of what really is going on hinders us from knowing the whole story. Yet we want control. Yet we want revenge. Now, if a child is being abused, it's not revenge that I'm seeking to stop this. That's called justice. Stop it. I'm going to fight for it. That's not me taking out revenge. That is rescuing, stepping in, calling the police, making sure the whole court system goes through. So this stops. Okay, there, there, there's some value here. This is not about the free-for-all. But that's, that, we covered all that in the uh, what forgiveness is not. That, that's huge. So I, I'm not going to repeat all that. And then this one here, God will reward you with favor, uh, surprising with your generosity. Or you will heap coals of fire on his head. An obvious figure of speech means that by demonstrating kindness to him, his heart will be moved and his shame exposed. When was the last time you were overkind to the person who's annoying you? <laughs> that, that's awkward. <laughs> just, just think for a moment, oh, I don't want to do that one. <laughs> Not that person, please, Lord, no. Maybe that's exactly, oh wait, that is exactly the heart of your father. Because your Heavenly Father has done that to you. We may deserve not-so-nice responses, but yet the love of God continues to pour generosity and kindness. It's the kindness of God that leads us to what? Anyone know? Repentance. That's Old Covenant. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord. Remember that song? Yeah. Don't forget that one. That's the heart of your Heavenly Father. And once we have been impacted and affected by that same kindness, it begets more kindness, and we get to show others the same kindness we've been shown. When we realize how much we have been forgiven, how much more? Something that I'm currently walking through, uh, my eyes are being opened about perceptions of how um, I thought I may have been taking a certain high road in, uh, in relationships, and, and I was judging people for judging me, not that you've ever done that, right? And after a couple of coffee visits lately, <laughs> guess what? I was looking in the mirror. It was me who was m- more judgmental than I knew. And I had to f- ask for forgiveness. I had to repent, change my mind. That's what repentance is. And God's teaching me that. And guess what this does? It now gives me a whole new appreciation for others who either are seeing and viewing me wrong or somebody else wrong. We become advocates for one for another to help heal relationships. It's a big deal. So why don't we take out vengeance? Because our ego vengeance is terrible. Our vengeance is terrible. It's overjudged. We do not have pure motives. We do not have the whole story. And we won't be fair. But the Lord is. This is where we yield, surrender. Any relationship involving emotions on any level creates an environment of expectations. This is ne- another level from someone else. Uh, it, it creates uh, an environment of expectation. We have expectations of our spouses, of our kids, of the people we work with. If you Even here at Hope Fellowship with the people you've gotten to know, there's a set of expectations that have been created of how you function and get along, of what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. You know, like uh, I don't see anybody... Um, uh, doing goofy things like going untying each person's shoe. Like, you just don't do that, right? You're not supposed to, and if it does, then it's just what kids do that. In relationships, we do the same thing. We have expectations, and when they're not met, we become upset, and we become disappointed. Remember what disappointment is. Disappointment means failed expectation. 
Look it up in the dictionary. It's a, it's a simple definition. Therefore, when we think we may have disappointed God, God said, what are you talking about? I'm not disappointed in you. I didn't, I didn't have a failed expectation. <laughs> you may have, but I didn't. God's not sitting there going, <gasps> didn't see that coming. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He's not caught off guard. Therefore, knowing all things, he still works a plan around our mistakes. There are consequences to mistakes, for sure. But our loving God still weaves his love in and through it. There is hope. There is a trust in a guiding Papa who wants to lead us into deeper experiential righteousness. That's his hope. He wants you healed. The potential letdown scenario is attached to someone whom you've chosen to forgive, and this is very significant. If that person is someone you have a regular contact with that has not responded positively to or who has not reciprocated forgiveness in any way, then you have been set up for a huge, possibly daily letdown. You may confront somebody and say, hey, um, this is wrong, and they go, not my problem, yours, and they're so not repenting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're offended. They're not willing to do it. It's now set up for even a daily routine. How does one deal with this scenario then? The answer may not be as pleasant, but read and listen carefully. The harsh truth is one may need to sever, listen, the emotional attachment. The emotional. You may not be able to stop the physical attachment because you're connected wherever, in your house or uh, at work, wherever it is, but there's an emotional attachment. It may be temporary, it may be permanent, but you have to make a conscious effort to emotionally detach yourself from that person in order to be able to find freedom in forgiveness that is constantly being tramped on. This is not easy. Not at all. Can that emotional attachment be restored? Yes, but not until it is safe to do so. You don't rush into a fixed emotional attachment. There are some people in our families even that the pattern of behavior is not being changed. They're being challenged. There may need to be an emotional disconnect while they're still physically there. It doesn't mean you're unloving. You're doing this for your own healing here. Self-care is critical. Don't, don't overlook that. The timing would be dependent on the health of the relationship in question. You could not let yourself become emotionally attached again until the volatility of the relationship is resolved. This is big. This would take time. Sometimes a short time, sometimes a long time, sometimes never. Be prepared for that. Um, but I believe that process of disconnecting the emotional attachment is an effective way of dealing with an ongoing issue that you cannot easily walk away from. It's not an easy thing to do or go through, but it may be the only solution in a volatile situation. Anybody know uh, Al-Anon, the, the uh, group that helps uh, Alcoholics Anonymous survivors? This is what they walk through. This, this emotional attachment stuff, I can't teach all that on a Sunday morning. That's crazy. It's way too much depth. But you can go now look it up. Now you have the words. Go do some research. But they strongly encourage the emotional detachment. In all marriages, and all the counseling books, we're talking about emotional attachment. Like, get connected. And yet, there may be times where emotional detachment becomes necessary. Seek out a professional counselor to understand this. If you're in this, get help. Don't just listen to a message and go, ooh, there's my answer. I don't, no, 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 no. (laughs) Don't put that on me. I'm just pointing you towards 
healthy direction, a healthy place of advice, and deal with it. And again, I'm dealing with some, I'm talking about a very serious issue here. Not, not oh, he spilled my coffee and uh, I need to forgive him. You guys get that, right? Okay, good. Here's from a counselor advice. When it's safe to do so, you would talk to the person clearly and respectfully about the specific behavior that is causing harm and ask for change. Yeah, that'll go over well all the time, right? <laughs> if the person hears you and is willing to pursue change and get whatever help they might need to pursue change successfully, that's great. It's like living in a bubble, and you hope that would be that way. But I'll tell you what, do you know when that does happen? It's when the person that is in pain hits a place of brokenness and it becomes teachable. Okay? That's a beautiful thing when we see that. If it's not, this is when we often talk about the need for healthy boundaries to separate yourself from the harmful behavior. Whether the person stops or not, you may have continued, you may have continued contact with that person on some level, even after you've forgiven them. In those moments, you may find yourself reliving the hurt and needing to process those feelings again. There are people that uh, are just going to be nasty to you. They are going to talk about you, and they're going to um, misrepresent you. They're going to misrepresent your intent in your heart. If you listen to their voices and receive it as value, you're going to get eaten up. Listen to the one who has the best opinion of you. Your Heavenly Father has the most beautiful opinion of you. It's what God thinks of you that matters, not people. Are there some things we can learn from behaviors if somebody is trying to confront us? Yes, learn those things. But when somebody's just being hurtful, reject it. I've, uh, I've encouraged people to uh, hold up an invisible mirror. Just kind of put it up when the complaining happens. And when somebody's crabbing about you and lying about you, just put the mirror up and say, it's not my hurt. It's not my hurt. Something's going on in you. This is reflecting what's going on in you, not me. That can be helpful. Uh, Where are we here? Here we go. God knows what people need and how best to intervene. In his wisdom, he blends justice and mercy. In the end, everything will be put right. Leaving this to God for me is forgiveness. And sometimes I need to do it again if I cross paths with someone who has hurt me and I find myself reminded of that offense. There's some people, if I see them in the mall, I just go, I need to go look at the lady's shoes for a minute. <laughs> they look at me weird in there, but it's like, I just don't want to face that person right now because there's such a negative vibe. There was one time uh, somebody who deeply, deeply hurt me uh, and my wife, and I bumped into him at a mall years later, and something, I told you about this, it was weird, I had this, hey, and it actually had an authentic, hey, it's good to see you. He wasn't happy. But I didn't care. I, I was still, I shook hands, shook hands with his family, and I think they were the most awkward spot ever. <laughs> but I, it was about my heart. I recognized that. Oh, my goodness. Look at the work that's gone in me. That is really cool evidence of healing. So that was really cool. Finding forgiveness and forging a new relationship with those who have wounded me. Hmm. Exiting a key relationship in order for that relationship to function, I have to remind myself that I have already chosen forgiveness. This is the bedrock. You cannot forget. If you have arrived at that place of forgiving someone and now have to move through the steps of either 
emotionally separating yourself or physically separating yourself from that. I know of one person uh, just recently who was given permission through wise counsel of a friend to cut off the relationship with their mother. Their mo- Who does that? Well, I get it, you know, from all the stuff I've gone through. However, in this particular situation, um, I tell you, there, there was a, a severing because it was so toxic. I think this person lives out west. And uh, I couldn't believe the peace I heard from this person's voice because they're going to find a new way to connect. They're going to sever the old pattern of how they've been connecting and set new boundaries. That's healthy, especially when things are toxically nasty. Uh, I also have to let go of any expectations of what this new relationship should look like, and I have to set those boundaries. Self-care, self-preservation may need to be taken seriously. I also have to accept that I am not responsible for the other's reaction or even acceptance. You are not responsible for their reaction. What if you've done maybe all the right things to protect yourself and those around you, and that person still doesn't repent and still shoves blame on you? That's not your concern now. You're you're on a new path of healing. So the expectation that they have to agree and come along, that's your expectation you put on yourself. Let it go, surrender it. This is about relational healing. Forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing or toleration. We know that one, right? We covered that one pretty big in the what forgiveness is not. You forgive your two-year-old for biting you, but if you love them, you'll teach them to stop biting you. Is that right? Does that sound about right? Right, Mike? <laughs> you forgive an alcoholic, but you still throw away his liquor and confront the pattern. An abuse victim must forgive his or her abuser, but at the same time call the police and refuse the pattern, right? God constantly forgives and always disciplines the ones he loves. Confrontation is a tough thing. But as I said earlier, confrontation is not something you rush into unless there's some some something serious at stake and somebody's going to get hurt like immediately. Yes, jump in. That's a different confrontation. But when you confront somebody for a pattern in their lives, somebody you love, that has to be done with time, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit is the only one who gives you the green light. You don't give it to yourself. Come on, Holy Spirit, can I now? Can I now? Huh? Can I? Can I? Can I? You can't do that. Just rest. Stop trying to figure it out. Psalm 133 to 4 says, Lord, if you measured us and marked us with our our sins, who would ever have their prayers answered? But your forgiving love is what makes you so wonderful. No wonder you are loved in worship. Notice where that's from? Old Covenant. Your Heavenly Father is a forgiver. He always has been. So why the mixed messages? Eh, That's another sermon. Forgiveness isn't the goal. Healing is. Forgiveness isn't necessarily the goal. Healing is this goal. Your personal healing and maybe a relationship healed as well. Who knows? But right now, personal. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It doesn't happen in the snap of a finger. It is a state of being, a state of who we truly are, which comes about by not only knowing but affirming our identity. This is big. Let me read that slower. Forgive. No, just kidding. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It doesn't happen to the snap of a finger. It is a state of being, 
a state of who we truly are, which comes about um, by not only knowing, but affirming our identity. You need to know who you are in Christ. Our ego will not forgive. Our flesh will not forgive. But our spirit will. Our spirit, a true us, the real us. So when the question was asked of me last week, this is from an individual that sent this to me, where am I at with forgiveness? I didn't have an answer. I still don't. Because it is who I am, not what I do. I had a long talk with this individual. Yep, this is the crux of forgiveness right here. It's not something you do. It's who you are. And if you don't know that, then all the stuff I've just taught for 12 weeks is the journey to arrive at this moment. To bring you to the place of recognizing your true forgiving nature. Forgiveness is your default, and it is for you. If anger is the constant emotion, then explore why. Get help. (laughs) Talk to a counselor. Forgiveness isn't something you do. It is who you are. It is your identity. You can't forgive. Jesus has done it already as you and for you. It's already done. Objective truth here is forgiveness is love. Hmm. Jesus has already done it? Okay. Is that true? Yes. Okay, good. And my identity, who I am, I am one with Jesus, right? So are you? Yes? That's a fact. The scriptures make that clear. Colossians 1.27. Christ in us. So if we're one with Christ, in union with Christ, our new nature is blended. Okay, I'm not him, he's not me, but we're one. My source, all my source of life and sustenance is Christ in me. That is my identity. If Christ has already forgiven, (laughs) see where this is going suddenly? We actually have already forgiven that person and don't know it. This process is about waking up to what has already happened. So when the words come out of our mouth, it becomes an affirmation of what is already true and what's being worked on in our spirit, in our mind, in our emotions. You have already forgiven the person you're wrestling with in your mind by your nature. Your body, your soul may need to catch up to what is already true. (laughs) Right? Work out your salvation. Put it into action. It doesn't mean work for your salvation. That's silly. But we work out our salvation. What is true of us in our, in our nature comes out in our soul and our body and our personality through our actions. That's working out your salvation. And forgiveness is one of the big ones. What Jesus said and didn't say. <laughs> one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, what kind of Messiah are you? <laughs> Save yourself. Save us from his death. And the criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, don't you fear God. You're about to die, you bonehead. We deserve to be condemned, for we were just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. And Jesus responded, I promise you, this very day, you will enter paradise with me. 
but he didn't say a prayer. Hmm. Okay. And then Jesus turned his head towards the other one and said, But not you, sucker. Should have treated me nicely. You shouldn't have taunted me. Ha <laughs> ha, too bad. I think both were forgiven. After all, Jesus looked down at all the injustice. They were killing an innocent man, a man judged innocent by the legal system. He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That goes for the other criminal, too, who didn't know what he was saying and who he was really talking to. He was blind to it. Hmm. How many of those that we need to forgive are blind? And we're mad at blind people for being blind. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever walk up to a blind person with a cane, just kick the cane out of the way? Ha! Dumb, dumb, blind. You don't do that. You show love and mercy. My goodness. That, who does that? Well, that's exactly the point. If you have someone in your life who's blind and walking through a crisis, they, let's say they don't even believe in God. They're blind. Don't get mad at them for being blind. Don't try to convince them to see. That's not your job. Your job is to love, to be grace. Huh. There's more control taken away from us. Look at that. <laughs> Imagine that. The forgiveness prayer. I've ad- edited it <laughs> because of this conversation this week. Because this prayer is a subjective pathway to bring us to an objective truth that is already true in us through our identity in Christ. I'll show you where the update is in a minute, but this is a beautiful prayer if you're having trouble how to word and connect with your Heavenly Father to release somebody. It goes like this. I confess. And again, we're beginning with identity. I confess I have been forgiven of everything by my Lord Jesus Christ. I confess I have been made a new creation in him. We begin with identity. I confess. By the way, confess also means to agree with. To agree with God. It doesn't say, forgive me. That's not what confess means. When it says confess your sins one to another, that means share, agree, hold yourselves accountable. There's value to that. So I confess that my, any unforgiving attitude I have is not a reflection of my true identity. Here it is. Here's where the change was. My true identity is in union with Jesus, who is a forgiver by nature, which makes me a forgiver too. When this sinks into your mind, the rest can come easily. Therefore, as an act of my will, I choose by the power of Christ in me to forgive you this very day fully recognizing my emotions may not reflect the choice I make this day. I choose to release you from my need to exact vengeance, my need to pour shame and anger on you. By the power of Christ in me, I release you from the responsibility to meet my needs for love and acceptance, and I choose today, as an act of my will, to trust Jesus alone as the only able and true source of meeting all my needs. I trust this day that Christ in me and the light of Christ in you to do the work of each of us that needs to be done. I surrender the outcome 
of this process to Christ, regardless if the relationship is restored or not. This is a prayer between you and your Heavenly Father. It's not something you go up to the other person with. It's for you, for your own healing, your own mind change. I hope you learned some things from this. I sure have. And there's still so much more to go, but 12 weeks is long enough. <laughs> oh my. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for your insight, your input. I've gotten a lot of emails, and some of you have already heard some of your comments and advice to me through what's been shared. You know, so thank you. It, it means a lot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, be our revelation. We have enough information, but be our revelation and teach us how to surrender. Teach us who we truly are in union with you as forgiving people who have been forgiven. May we do the same to all and walk out forgiveness, choosing every morning, expecting we will have to forgive somebody. Thank you, Father. Make this truth alive in each and every one of us. Work it out, the salvation in us. Work it out through mind, will, and emotions and actions. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.